0: Welcome to the Make Books Travel podcast. I'm your host, Marlene Seegers, co-founder of Two Seas Agency, a boutique literary agency based in Ojai, California. Join me and take a glimpse behind the scenes of the international publishing world through my conversations with key players of the industry. My guests all have one thing in common. They make books travel. For instance, from one language to another from idea or manuscript to published book, or from page to screen. Find out how they do it, and why. Thank you for listening, and now on to today's show. Welcome to episode number four of the Make Books Travel podcast. Today's guest is Paris-based journalist and editor Olivia Snege. For those of you who read the international publishing industry news, Olivia's name probably sounds familiar, as she is a contributing editor to Publishing Perspectives. Besides Publishing Perspectives, she has written for a variety of magazines and newspapers, including The Guardian and The New York Times. One of the subjects she has written a lot about is the publishing and book industry of the Middle East and the Arab-speaking world in general. This is also the central topic of our interview. So I'm happy to introduce you to Olivia Sneij. Hello, Olivia. Welcome to the podcast. Hi, Marlene. Thanks so much for having me.
1: I'm fine. I'm fine. Um, It's beginning to be winter, seriously, in Paris, but um, all is well.
0: Hmm, I'm glad to hear that I'm very happy to have you on the podcast uh, we've been in touch for i don't know how many years now but it's been a while yeah uh, when we were both <laughs> in different stages of our career and um if I remember correctly you were one of the first if not the first uh, journalists or people to report on the start of 2c's agency back in 2011 yeah I think it was publishing perspectives exactly so I wanted to Thank you for that. That Oh, you're welcome. um, (laughs) I I, I thought about that when preparing the podcast. So yeah, I really appreciated
1: that. in admiration that you were going so far because I've lived in in Northern California and it's so far away from Europe. And I was in complete admiration (laughs) how you had gotten that um, started and up and running and and you're doing it. So bravo.
0: (laughs) (laughs) Thank you. Thank you. Um, Yeah. Well, as I said, we've been in touch for a while. We've known each other for a while. For our listeners who may not know you that well yet, uh, can you briefly introduce yourselves? Uh, yourself sorry, and uh, describe your professional career so far? Sure. Um, I'm an arts journalist and I'm an occasional editor
1: and translator. And uh, since in recent times, everyone's been talking about fake news and the necessity for fact-checking. I thought I'd mention that the best training I got as a journalist was when I worked as a fact-checker at Vanity Fair magazine. And this was back in the 1980s in New York. Uh, In Europe, fact-checking wasn't a thing then, but in the U S it's been around for quite a while. And at Vanity Fair, like at the New Yorker and other magazines, they had an entire team devoted to fact checking. So we literally picked apart stories that were 20,000 words long and checked all the facts from um, whether the carpet was green in a room to what kind of bullets were in such a such a gun. And then we put the story back together again. And uh, internet didn't exist yet. So we had a system called uh, Nexus Lexus, uh, if we really couldn't find out sources on our own. But mostly we called around, you know, to Europe, to anywhere, to the State Department. And so, anyway, after that um, experience as a fact checker, I began uh, reporting and I've worked as a journalist ever since, uh, mainly in culture uh, for magazines. And I've worked at a publishing company and then I've also written a few nonfiction books and co edited a book. So, in short, thank you.
0: <laughs> yeah, and one of the main focus areas of your writing is the Middle East, and um, I believe the Arab speaking world in general. And uh, as you said, you're you're focusing on on cultural aspects. Um, mm. How how did this interest develop? Um,
1: Well, I've sort of been connected to the Middle East um, from the very start, because I was born in uh, Alexandria in Egypt, uh, where Mm -hmm. my father was uh, working. And my parents always had a lot of Egyptian friends around. And then... I ended up marrying a Lebanese. What can I say? (laughs) And uh, I went um, regularly to Lebanon uh, beginning 1991, which was just after the civil war had um, ended. And I went to Syria and Palestine on various occasions. And then I also started reporting for the English language newspaper in Beirut called The Daily Star. And I'd report on um, cultural subjects mainly about the Arab world, but going on in Europe. And, um, in London, I was the editor of a magazine on culture in the Middle East called Aleph. And that was great because we covered, um, stories about sort of new and, and burgeoning young, hip scenes all over the place. There was so much going on um, in Lebanon, for example, which is very vibrant culturally. I mean, the country is way too small for its production. And there were also so many other interesting scenes developing everywhere, like, I don't know, the comics industry in Egypt or Tunisia. And then also in London, I worked as a commissioning editor. Um, you may know them at the indie publisher Saki Books in London, Mm -hmm. and they publish fiction and nonfiction books about the greater Middle East. And they have a sister company in Lebanon called Dad al-Saki, which publishes in Arabic. And um, Then probably around the time that I did the story, well, you you, uh, founded your company in 2011, but I started reporting for Publishing Perspectives. I think in 2009, uh, it's a trade magazine about the publishing industry, and I did a lot of stories about publishing in the Middle East. So that's sort of where things Mm -hmm. led
0: right yeah yes I remember when I think that's actually the first time that we met in person is when you were working at Saki Books in London and I was still at you were Edith the French oh, yeah yes right right right
1: right I exactly. think I might have approached you to buy something or or vice yes. versa I don't remember
0: <laughs> exactly exactly so yeah. Uh, yeah that was well before two thousand. 11. Yeah. When
1: were you at Saki Books? I was there 2008 and 2009. It was sort of unfortunate because it was right around when the crisis hit. So mm. sort of similar to now, we were postponing books, you know, kind of telling mm. authors, oh, not this year, but next year. You know? yeah. um, but uh, it was it was a great experience. And uh, it's a wonderful little publisher
0: hmm yeah yes i'm i've i always follow their publications closely and they do as you say a lot in uh, a lot of books in translation and um yeah they have a very interesting list Mm. and yeah as you mentioned it's uh, a a lot of books are being postponed now and of course we've we've been living in a very challenging year 2020 it's almost coming to an end (laughs) (laughs) um But I wanted to uh, focus uh, in my next question on Lebanon. And uh, of course, the people of Beirut had to suffer the tragic explosion in early August besides the the pandemic. And um, the city is home to many publishing houses, um, which play a very important role in the Arab speaking publishing world. And they not only have to deal with the impact of the explosion and the pandemic, but I believe also Lebanon has been in an economic crisis oh, for completely. a while now, yeah, no, I mean, <laughs> how uh, are they doing
1: oh, it's it's really, really bad. I mean, um, The industry was already struggling, so it's not easy for publishers in the Arab world to begin with, and we can talk about that later. But Mm. um, specifically in Lebanon, because there are a lot of publishers there um, and they export a lot of books... They're in a very volatile area where there have been ongoing wars and uprisings around them. And it's made it that much harder in recent years to export their books. You know, people have less money and so on. Um, For example, the Iraqis used to be huge readers. And of course, we know how that country has suffered. Um, Mm. The market in Syria has totally collapsed. And then um, in Lebanon... Because of political crises and so on, the economy went into freefall around this time last year, a little bit later, and the Lebanese pound uh, was devalued. It lost 80% of its value, so you can imagine. I mean, and things just got worse Mm -hmm. and worse, and there's no government aid at all for culture in Lebanon, so everyone has to scramble, and... um, for the Sharjah Book Fair, I, I did a story on um, on exactly that subject, um, how publishers are doing, and I and one of the people I interviewed was Emile Tian, who is the CEO of uh, achette Antoine in Lebanon, mm-hmm. and it's one of the biggest, richest companies, and because also they're co-owned by Ashet and they have a lot of advantages, but they're suffering terribly. So you can imagine the smaller independent publishers. I mean, it's it's really awful, and um, some are supported. Uh, by grants from an arts foundation which is called AFAC but you know that's not sustainable in the long run Mm. and uh, the Lebanese pound just keeps falling so even um, people who might have had grants from the European Union or somewhere else if they change their money into Lebanese pounds it becomes worthless (laughs) Mm. and then Mm. on top of it there is the pandemic and then the explosion on August 4th while it was absolutely devastating and it was a Mm. huge trauma it it didn't really affect publishers economically because they were already in trouble. And um, so it affected them, of course, psychologically, but um, you know, it it was already difficult. And uh, what most publishers have told me is that it's just impossible to plan ahead. And Mm. they're going, you know, day by day, they have to adjust their prices all the time. And um, you know, the price of paper has become exorbitant and it's a cash economy, so, mm-hmm. I mean, I, I I don't like to be so negative, but even people who were pretty enthusiastic and hopeful really have a hard time seeing a way out. And um, publishers are producing a minimum of books; uh, their production is down, you know, anywhere from fifty to seventy percent. And some people aren't publishing at all, so right. um, they're focusing on eBooks and audiobooks. But even that is difficult, mm-hmm. you know. So, mm-hmm. anyway, <laughs> sorry to be—it's such a, a sort of a downer <laughs> response, mm. but it's unprecedented. I mean, the crisis they're going through—it's—it's it's terrible.
0: Yeah. Well, yeah. That's that's why I, I I asked you because I can only imagine. Um, well, no, actually, I can't really imagine what it what it must be like to mm. um, be an independent publisher, as you say. Even the Ashet yeah. uh, Antoine, which is part of the big Ashet group, is 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 in um, a difficult situation. So. Yeah. I'm, um, well, they do a lot of um, school books. And so, oh. with, yeah,
1: so with COVID, it was
0: bad because,
1: you know, the schools yeah. were open, closed, open, closed. But then also it's their local market and people just don't have the money to buy books anymore because mm. their money has been devalued. And I'm talking about even a more privileged um, class. Right.
0: Mm. And I, you mentioned the, the Sharjah Book Fair earlier on. I, I went there once in 2014, and uh, because I wanted to learn more about the Arabic-speaking publishing world. And mm-hmm. one of the things that I learned there is that the distribution of books between Arabic-speaking countries um, leaves a lot to be desired. Yeah, um, that's for sure. <laughs> <laughs> put it nicely. And uh, in fact, many Arabic publishers personally travel to book fairs across the Arabic-speaking countries, and there are many of them, I believe, many of those book fairs. Oh, yeah, um, many, many. Mm-hmm. And they, they bring the copies of their books to these fairs to sell them, um, yeah. Yeah. and they are all public fa- fairs, so a lot of visitors. How do they cope with the COVID-19 era and its travel restrictions? The well, county? the answer is the answer mm. is
1: very badly. I mean, you know, yeah. distribution is very difficult and there are very few bookshops and um, they really are. Publishers are really like traveling salespeople. I mean, they, mm-hmm. they go to all the fairs where they have stands and that's where they sell a large part of their books to the public because they're all public fairs. And, you know, at, mm-hmm. uh, at a lot of book fairs, you see people just lining up and buying masses of books because they're stocking up for the year. So um, the pandemic meant, of course, that the book fairs were cancelled and this avenue for selling books was taken away from them. So like everyone else, they're dealing with cancellations of uh, book launches and so on and having to reinvent ways of selling books. But again, you know, the, this system of going to book fairs is, is quite um, unusual and, and, uh, and it's what you know, happens in the Arab world. So it's, it's not easy for people to buy books or for publishers to get their books to people.
0: Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. one book fair did happen though this year was which was Sharjah book fair (laughs) did you you go there no in fact I've never been to Sharjah I've been to Ah. uh,
1: the Abu Dhabi (laughs) book fair um, several Mm -hmm. times but uh, uh, but I did speak to people who went and um, apparently there were over a thousand exhibitors and I think the physical audience I read was something like near 400,000 people but they usually have about two million visitors. So, wow, um, yeah. Uh, but uh, an Egyptian publisher who had a stand there said his sales were fine. Um, mm-hmm. Of course, there weren't as many people, but the people who came bought books. And That's uh, good. a mm. fellow journalist who's British, he went this year to to he went to the publishers' conference and attended the professional program. And it was it was very sweet because he said. You know, everyone was just really happy to see each other, you know, like the the global (laughs) publishing family, you know, they're like, you know, so it was just so great to see people physically, even if you know, obviously, there weren't a lot of people there. Um, But he he said that someone from the US from Audible was there. And uh, yeah, and um, then he said the social distancing was really good. And the matchmaking tables at the right center all had Perspects. Screens and uh mm. so yeah and then um uh a, a literary agent also was there and, and she said that it was interesting and she she had good meetings so I think it was a positive event and they and they did everything very you know professionally and it, and people had to be tested before going there for COVID and leaving and so it was it was well organized
0: Hmm. This is very reassuring. I yes. uh, and I can imagine that it must have what it must have been like just to see other publishing people again. Even oh, though no. you, you can't fall into each other's arms, no, no. The, the, next thing. Thing. Exactly. <laughs> the next best thing. Exactly. I can
1: squeeze in. your elbow.
0: Yes. <laughs> yes. <laughs> yeah. Exactly. Yeah. Um. And the so just to put things. Uh, in a context, the so the Sharjah Book Fair uh, usually to always takes place in November, which is what it uh, what happened this year as well. And uh, the incredible amount of people that you mentioned that that, that visit each year is it's also over the period of I think it's ten days or two mm-hmm. weeks i'm right, not, I'm not exactly fair. sure yeah yeah oh, or at least it, it's not just like the london book fair like three days um, Right, right oh, it, it is it is a bit more stretched out because as, it's like for
1: the public best. too they have a lot mm-hmm. of things going on for the public
0: yeah yeah. Mm-mm. Mm. yeah and another thing that i learned in in sharjah in uh when i went there in uh well six years Two, ago now yeah, <laughs> 2014 yeah. um or rather it was confirmed because I had already encountered some cases. Cases. Um, it, it's the major problem of piracy of books in the Arab speaking world. Do you know how whether anything has changed since then and, and how publishers are dealing with it?
1: Um, well, the short answer is no. <laughs> It's, it's yeah. been going on for years and it drives yeah. publishers absolutely crazy. I mean it's the it's one of the most challenging aspects of being a publisher in the Middle East, mm-hmm. I think and and a lot of publishers say it's worse than censorship or, or even political problems. Um, mm-hmm. the, the minute a publisher has a bestseller, it's pirated. And sometimes it takes just a couple of days after wow. publication to have a pirated version. So, um, no, it's, it's, it's totally frustrating. I mean, I'll, I'll never forget that the sales director for Dad Alsaki told me, um, how he was in cairo once for for business and he was in a cafe and there was a little boy um you know with piles of books to to, to sell who came up to him and they were all pirated books and he was trying to sell him you know a book and he mm-hmm. looked at the pile and over half of them were his own books
0: oh no <laughs> yeah
1: so you know it was just i mean it's mm. it's it's funny, but it's really not funny. And mm-hmm. I, I yeah. don't think that they've found solutions. Um, but maybe the development of, of ebooks and audiobooks is something that they can control better. But uh,
0: mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. yeah, speaking of, of, of which, the audiobook format has been uh, a recurrent topic on the on the podcast just because it's on the rise in in many countries um after it really took off uh years ago in in the u.s and and other english language countries and it really is such an important part of the market here now what what is what does it look like in arab speaking countries for the audiobook format um
1: i i think it's doing really really well and um during the pandemic it did even more so i mean like everywhere Mm. right but i think also because there's such a great storytelling tradition in 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 arab culture it's hmm. sort of a, it's sort of organic i mean for example in egypt which has a population of 100 million people um there there was a tradition of reading books over the radio so i i imagine hmm. that the transition was fairly natural to 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 audiobooks um I know Storytel Arabia uh, is based in Dubai, and this summer they bought uh, Kitab Saudi, which is another audiobook company in Dubai, which was also founded by Swedes. And hmm. um, as far as local companies go, I mean, there are at least nine that I can think of. Uh, oh wow! But yeah, there are probably more. Um, but there's a, a well-known one called Buklava also in Dubai and that was founded by a Lebanese Canadian and his company won the booksellers audio publisher of the year. Mm. uh, The last time the London book fair took place, when was that? 2019. Right. Yeah. uh, and then in Egypt, um, there's a company called uh, Ikrali, uh, and the founders thought it up while they were stuck in, you know, the massive Cairo traffic jams. You know. <laughs> and um then there's a woman who uh, founded a Saudi company called Dad, and there's a Jordanian company called Masmu. They produce and publish audiobooks and um I think you can listen to their books on a couple of airlines. Uh, they have they oh. got their content on Qatar and mm. Emirates. And they also give courses on voice acting because um, the production of audiobooks in the Middle East can be a little bit complicated other than sort of the, the metadata problems, but because there's so many different dialects in Arabic. So uh-huh. it's, it's a little bit, yeah, it's a little bit complicated. I mean, it would be maybe i don't know similar to you know someone from scotland you know if you had a scottish book and then you'd have to record something um but i mean the, the dialects are are even more different than more that. different yeah. Mm-hmm, yeah 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 mm-hmm. but there's a potential for 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 a very big market cuz i mean there are 325 million people that's that's wow. big potential
0: yeah and then, of course, the distribution does not face the same challenges right? as the print books. Mm-hmm. Absolutely.
1: Yeah, 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 mm. yeah. And and more and more people, you know, are are connected and, and they're in all these huge cities. They're stuck in traffic. <laughs> so,
0: yeah. 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 Mm. Mm. And what would you recommend to international editors and rights sellers who are interested in learning more about the Arab speaking publishing world? Um, as I said, I went to uh, the Sharjah Book Fair couple of years ago and I even though I, I did get a little bit of uh, more insight into how things work and, and the problems mostly the problems that um, that they're facing I, I still have to admit it's kind of a um, yeah it's 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 a complicated territory for me that the, the Arabic language so where would you recommend that they start and, mm, and um, mm. where I continue yeah <laughs> Well, I mean,
1: first of all, it's a huge and incredibly diverse area. I mean, mm-hmm. you know, farthest west, you have Morocco and farthest east, you have Oman and you have literature that's just as diverse. So,
0: mm-hmm.
1: I mean, people say the Arab world, but, you know, it's 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 humongous. So mm. uh, I, I recently attended a conference where there were Western publishers and publishers from the Arab world. And the Western publishers were saying just that, you know, they were saying, oh, wow, you know, it's, it's, it's very opaque, the Arab publishing world and, and the Arab publisher said, well, it's opaque to us too, (laughs) which, which doesn't help. But um, I think that the first problem is that outside of the Arab world, very few editors read Arabic. Mm -hmm. Um, And so they have to rely on translators for samples and, you know, as well as finding out what's good and what the inside story is and so on. And although there there is an increasing number of translators from Arabic to other languages, there still aren't that many. Mm-hmm. Um, so it is possible to find out about Arabic literature, but it's not straightforward. So there are, very, there are various ways to do your research. And um, I'll send you the links for <laughs> all these mm-hmm. places. But I'd say you can begin by reading arablit.org, which is a website that's, dedicated to Arabic literature and translation. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And then for children's books, uh, there's also the World Kidlet site, which has an Arabic section. And then uh, there's Banipal magazine, and that's published in the UK by Margaret Obank and Samuel Shimon. And they publish excerpts and chapters from books that they translate, that they have translated into English from the entire Arab world. Mm. And um, they'll often have a special focus on a a certain country, Uh, Mm. kind of like Words Without Borders. Um, Mm. That's another website in the U.S., and they'll focus on on a country too. And for example, their current issue is on writing by Sudanese women, uh, translated mm-hmm. from Arabic. Hmm. So that's for the Anglophone world. And then there's the literary agent Yasmina Jraisati whose agency mm-hmm. is called Raya. Um, I'm not sure if you know her, but... Um, yes, I mm. met her
0: once, or twice. I think in Sharjah, actually. Yeah,
1: well, so back in 2015, I wrote an article about how she was the only literary agent in the Middle East. And basically, mm-hmm. she's still the only one. Oh. Um, th- there are some agents in Europe who also represent a few authors from Arab countries or their estates. Mm-hmm. And... I'm thinking particularly of um, the agent Pierre Astier in France, Mm -hmm. who represents the estate of um, the Moroccan author Mohamed Lefta. And he Mm -hmm. recently sold a two book deal to other press. Mm -hmm. Uh, So, yeah. um, But Yasmina, the agent, the one and only agent, told me that Mm -hmm. uh, when she was at the Sharjah Book Fair this year, she heard something about plans for a Sharjah International Literature Agency that was going to be created. So Mm -hmm. who knows? And then let's see, another path to look out for books would be the ones on the shortlist or the ones that win the International Prize for Arabic Fiction, which Mm -hmm. is also known as the Arabic Booker Prize. And that's announced just before the Abu Dhabi Fair, which begins in April usually, but this year I think it's been moved to May. Uh, And then there's a new initiative about to be launched by two French women, Anne Millet and um, Lucienne d'Alençon, which will be a not-for-profit sort of book office. And that will offer information about Arabic literature. And it won't just be in French. It'll it'll be in English Mm. as well Mm -hmm. and other languages. And they're calling it Laila. And it's funded by the European Union. And I think they also are getting funding from the Anna Lind Foundation. Hmm. and uh, they're going to begin by doing a study on the Arab market that will focus on issues of pi- uh, piracy and translation and so on, uh, mm. which they'll add to the website, and all of that you know, will be free. And right. um, they're also focusing on translation in Europe from Arabic, uh, and I think, uh, for that, they're going to be working with literature across frontiers, which is, um, an organization in the UK. So they're not representing authors, but they want to put together a catalog of 100 showcasing. titles. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah. It's 100 titles of books in Arabic that haven't yet been, tra- been translated hmm. and they'll have sample translations and so on. So oh,
0: that's, that's um, interesting. Yeah, right.
1: yeah. Yeah. So hmm. hopefully they'll be able to get that up and running. And then, um, there's a book fair that a lot of people don't know about, but it's, it's really growing. It's called the Maghreb Orient des Livres, um, which takes place in Paris, usually in February, but this year it's been moved to May. Hmm. So if you're in Europe and you don't want to travel very far, it's, it's really worth it because, um, there, it it used to be a fair only for the public and now it's being transformed into a more professional fair. And, Hmm. um it's possible that the uh the, BF, the Bureau International de l'Edition Française, which takes... Mm-hmm. Quick, uh, well, you know what it is, but just for your, your listeners, um, uh, they take care of... Uh, they promote French publishing and organise professional exchanges. Anyway, they might be uh, organising something professional at the Maghreb Orient des Livres as well. Mm-hmm. Um, then, again, remaining in France, uh, if you read French... Uh, if you're an editor who reads French, you should definitely look at what Act Sud's imprint uh, Sinbad publishes because mm. uh, they're pretty much, I mean, the, 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 they published the biggest, uh, uh, the largest amount of contemporary Arabic literature in France. Um, but that's an exceptional situation because you have an editor there, uh, Farouk Mardambé, who's originally Syrian, and he's one of those people who are just, truly irreplaceable, because, you know, not only is he a real intellectual, but he can read the literature, he knows and understands what's going on, and he can edit the texts. So, um, but anyway, so so people who read in French should keep an eye on Sinbad. Uh, mm. And then also, there are um, great indie publishers uh, who also publish in French, so they're Arab authors, but that's sometimes a little bit easier, you know, for, for other publishers to to um, translate from French into right. uh, English uh, there's uh, Edition Barzac in uh, Algeria for example they're the ones who first published Kamel Daoud mm-hmm. and um, in Morocco there's for nonfiction, for example En Toute Lettre in Tunisia there's uh, Elizad. and then um, the website the International Alliance of International Publishers has Arab publishers who are members and they sometimes put together a catalog of their work. And then I think earlier we mentioned, um, Sherif who's the Egyptian publisher and hmm. he put together a catalog called, uh, Arab voices this year. I think it, I just, oh. it just came out and it right. has, um, yeah, it has 32 book titles in it and there's a description of the book in English and who the rights holder is and the contact for it. And hmm. that's also funded by the European union. So, hmm. um, and then for children's literature, because um, that's also interesting, uh, there's a magazine called Tekam Tiku, uh, and I'll send you the, the link for it. Uh, it's on international children's books, uh, and there's a section on Arabic books. Uh, hmm. So that's, yeah, that's sort of, oh, also for those who speak Italian, there's a blog on Arabic literature called Editoria Araba. Um, so, no, I just I just wanted to underline that it's, there's, a lot of production going on in the Arab world with really interesting works. And so editors shouldn't give up because, I mean, I know it is complicated to find out about it, but
0: Hmm. you can
1: say a lot about the Arab world, but the one thing you can't say is that it's boring. So, (laughs) you know, there's, there's room for a lot of great literature coming from so many different places with,
0: Hmm.
1: you know, such human experiences. I mean, often tragic, but, but, you know, a lot of good literature. Hmm. So. Yeah.
0: Well, thank you for this very <laughs> exhaustive list. And uh, yes, I will appreciate. I would appreciate it if you could uh, send that to me, and I-, I can add that all to the uh, to the show notes. Um, I'll try and
1: make that uh, shorter than <laughs> my very very long paragraph.
0: <laughs> no, but it's, I think it's really interesting to see that there there are quite a few pathways into the uh, Arabic speaking publishing world through other languages. Yes, uh, also so that's. Mm-hmm. Um, Yeah, that's also important to uh, to look at. Um, So with all these efforts, several of which you just mentioned are quite new, have you seen in this increasingly globalized world where we see um, literatures of of certain countries or regions gain popularity Mm. internationally, Um, for instance, South Korea has is, is living a moment or has had a yeah, moment. Yeah. Have you also seen an increase uh, in recent years in interest in authors from Arab speaking countries, and 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 have you seen it being translated into more translations, and and not just speaking in in English, but perhaps also in other mm-hmm. languages? Um,
1: yeah, I think so. I, I think so. Although it's not um, definitely not glorious, but it's there's certainly been a progression and i think um it used to be that it was mainly academic publishers who would publish uh arabic literature and now um you know indie publishers or small you know presses just uh uh who presses that aren't academic will will mm-hmm. publish will take you know will take a chance <laughs> and mm-hmm. um uh so that's definitely increasing and uh i'm going to refer to what um Yasmina, the agent, has told me that in the past uh, years, she does feel like there's been a wave of interest. I was talking to her, it's funny, about this uh, the other day, and she's... But she's also made an effort to knock on doors that weren't just Western uh, mm-hmm. uh, or Anglophone. And um, she said that in recent years, her meetings at the Sharjah Book Fair have actually helped a lot, because mm-hmm. um, when she first started going there, she thought she would be doing deals with Western publishers. And then she realized that they were mostly there to sell. <laughs> so right. um, just kind of, she she happened to hook up with Indian publishers, and so specifically, mm-hmm. she had six or seven books translated from Arabic into uh, Malayalam. Ma, no, ma, how do you say it? Malayalam. Malayalam. Malayalam, I think it is. Malayalam, yes. <laughs> Malayalam. And um, mm-hmm. she finds that this language territory is, is very dynamic. And she's had a lot of interest from Eastern Europe. So Macedonia, mm-hmm. uh, Ukraine, um, Serbia, Uh, She has a Lebanese author who's doing really well in Ukraine. Um, She thinks that maybe it's because, you know, in the Balkans and other countries, they've had similar experiences. For example, uh, I asked her about Asia and she said that they're not easy territories, um, for example, China and Japan. and they think her books are, are too dramatic, um, which they <laughs> often are. <laughs> and they mm-hmm. ask her, like, don't you have a love story? <laughs> um, so, um, but, but who knows? I mean, she, she also met someone from Mozambique who publishes in, in Portuguese, and mm-hmm. they were interested in her book. So hopefully this will continue. I mean, I think in general, and, and you probably know more about this than, than I do, but it seems like there are more books in translation being published.
0: Mm-hmm. Um, yeah I mean I I do think that there is definitely in the last decade or maybe two decades an increase in in translations in in languages other than or from languages other than than english there is yeah. definitely a curiosity and often also because um there's and you mentioned them already in your list of resources but uh there's there's a lot of uh, governmental support uh, yeah. from yeah. from from countries that didn't used to exist so um for sure there is there's definitely incre- an increase an in, increase in interest and i have to say the the efforts of uh, i can only speak of the, the the Sharjah Book Fair, mm-hmm. but, uh, their efforts to, to bring in people come to, for them to come visit the Sharjah Book Fair have mm-hmm. also surely been paying off.
1: Yeah. Yeah. I mean, and also uh, it has to do sometimes with translation costs. I mean, sometimes it's just as basic as that. And so certain countries give more money than others. I mean, you know, France uh, gives money. I know that the Dutch uh, translation fund gives a lot of money and Mm -hmm. uh, the Nordic countries. And I think in the U.S. it's it's more difficult. Although I think Mm -hmm. there's, I mean, in the U.K. you have the Arts Council and then you have PEN. But um, mm-hmm. that's something obviously to be considered: is is yeah. the, the cost of translation? Yeah. Mm.
0: And um, let's talk about um, books, partic- books in particular. Uh, besides <laughs> the ones that you're involved with professionally, uh, mm-hmm. for either your editorial or for your uh, work as a journalist, um, which book or books uh, have you read recently that you'd like to recommend to our reader, uh, our listeners, and why?
1: Yeah, your your listeners who are readers, of yes, course, exactly. Right? <laughs> i <I'm
0: reading> listeners.
1: <laughs> Well, I'd have to say that one of my absolute favorite books this year was from your home country, <laughs> "The mm. Discomfort of Evening" by ah. Mahaike Lucas uh, Reinbelt, uh, mm-hmm. translated by Michelle Hutchinson. Um, mm-hmm. I read it in English. Uh, it's it's a s- very disturbing coming of age story about a family in a rural area of the Netherlands. Um, Mm. the family is not coping with the death of one of their children. Uh, Mm. but it's, it's also a very funny book. So there, there's a bit of comic relief, but I have to say it's, it's pretty bleak, (laughs) but it's, it's, it's wonderful. I mean, I, I would Mm. highly recommend it. And then, Mm. um, I really enjoyed the eighth life, which is a Georgian novel. Uh, but you have to have time to read it because I think it's eight or 900 pages long.
0: (laughs) Yeah. (laughs) It's
1: by uh, Nino Harachvili. And,
0: oh, of I mean, yeah. she's, she writes in German. Yes, exactly. So yeah. I think this, mm-hmm. She
1: writes in both languages, but this one was written in German and it was translated by Charlotte Collins and Ruth Martin. And mm. it takes you through the incredible history of Georgia. I mean, through the entire 20th century until the present with mm. plenty of love stories and tragedies and wars. Mm-hmm. Um, so, yeah. And then to get back to the Arab world, I, I really Really loved um, Adania Shibli's *Minor Detail*, which is published by Fitzcarraldo in the UK and New Directions in the US, and I think that's been getting um, really good uh, reviews. Uh, so in English, it's translated um, from the Arabic by Elizabeth Jaquette. and then. In French, it's published, of course, by Act Sud, <laughs> Sinbad, mm-hmm. and that's been translated by Stéphanie Dujols. Mm-hmm. And um, it's, it's quite short. It's, I think, only maybe 200 pages or so, but it really packs a punch. It's, it's about an event that happened in 1949 uh, with the rape and murder of a Palestinian girl. But it's, sort of, it's very interesting because there are two narratives that kind of lead to the same place. So mm-hmm. I highly recommend that, too.
0: Mm, thank you. <laughs> so uh, I, I I haven't read. Um... Uh, any of them so really? I, I have to admit but you you are the second person to recommend uh the discomfort of evening uh yeah. by uh, marieke lucas reineveld um judith uiterlinde also recommended it a few few podcasts uh, ago and oh. i do have the book i just uh well, yeah you can I, read it in, in,
1: that's in that's its original yes. version <laughs>
0: <laughs> yes which i which I will definitely do I, I always prefer to to read it uh whenever i can in, yeah. in its original language. Exactly. Um, so, is there anything that I missed in this interview that you wanted to mention here?
1: Um, no, just that just that uh, the Arab world is, has so much richness, and that people shouldn't be put off by how um, difficult it can be sometimes to have access to to uh, to books and literature. Um, they just have to keep trying, and, and again, I'll, I'll send you the list of resources uh, so you can put them in the in the notes. Um, mm-hmm. Yeah. Okay. But thank you so much.
0: Well, thank you Olivia and have a, a a nice evening in Paris and I hope to see you sometime soon. Me too in 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 yeah, in in reality. In reality. <laughs> yes. In real thank life. you. Thank you marlene
1: right. Bye-bye Bye. Olivia. Thanks. Bye.
0: Thanks again for listening to the Makebooks Travel Podcast. I hope you had a good time and learned a thing or two. Check out the agency's website, Two twosiesagency.com, for more information and resources about the international publishing scene. Oh, and if you liked what you heard, please leave a positive review. Thank you. Merci et à la prochaine.